So for those of you who don't know, this is my first expository sermon. (laughs) Tom has given me several opportunities over the last couple of years to preach, but I've been reluctant to do so because I am not much of an orator. Uh, However, I believe one way that the Lord wants to grow me as an elder is through the preaching of his word. So here I am, and ironically, to preach on preaching the word. So... (laughs) As I've prepared for today, I've often thought of how Moses wasn't much of an order either, but God still used him anyway. At one point, I chuckled at the thought of preparing the sermon and having one of the elders preach it to you all, kind of like Moses would have done when the Lord would give him a word and he would have his brother Aaron relay that word to the Israelites on his behalf. If only Moses had the benefit of Microsoft Word, where he could prepare a manuscript beforehand, maybe he wouldn't have had to rely on his brother so much. He could have just read the Lord's message to the people, like Jonathan Edwards read his sermons when he preached. Not that I'm equating myself to either of those men, nor do I intend to simply read you my notes this morning, or at least I hope that's not the way it will turn out. Originally, I thought about titling this sermon, Preach the Word in Season and Out of Season, since in a way... We're transitioning from one season uh, by closing out 2023 and moving into a new year. But then I settled on just preach the word because that is the focus of Paul's charge to Timothy in our passage this morning. And it is that charge that I believe the Lord wants us to explore this morning. However, before we do, let us pray. Father, I pray now that you help me to deliver this message so that the people of Grace Church are encouraged, just as Timothy was encouraged by Paul. Holy Spirit, calm my nerves and guide my speech. As we search the scriptures, may we see that they are able to make us wise for salvation. Help us to endure the trials we face and to boldly proclaim your word so that others might find hope in the gospel just as we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So this second letter to Timothy is Paul's final writing, and he's doing it from a Roman prison. It's meant to be a personal word of encouragement to Timothy as he faced many challenges shepherding the people uh, at the church at Ephesus, not the least of which was dealing with false teachers. It is evident in both letters to Timothy that Paul had high regard for this young man. He even referred to him as his child, giving us some sense of how close the relationship actually was. As Paul drew this letter to a close, we see that he essentially boiled everything in ministry down to this one imperative, preach the word. Because in the end, it's the preaching of the word that leads to salvation. In Romans 10, 13 through 15, and then also verse 17, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. A moment ago, I spoke of the end. Paul, using that term, Paul is also revealing that the conclusion of his ministry is at insight. We get a sense that he intends to leave a legacy the recipient of his letter. To use the metaphor of running a race, one that Paul often uses in his writings, we see a passing of the baton, so to speak, from Paul to Timothy. So today's message contains three points. 
with the first one being the main idea, which is simply to preach the word. The other two build off of it and cause us to consider why we should preach the word. Point two shows us how preaching the word helps us to endure to the end, and point three shows us how preaching the word helps us to leave a gospel legacy. So let's get started. In verse one, Paul, right out of the gate, uh, charges Timothy, issuing it, excuse me, in verse one, Paul comes right out of the gate with a charge for Timothy, issuing it with God the Father and God the Son as witnesses, so as to impress upon Timothy the seriousness of it. It's as if placing Timothy under oath to comply with the charge when he must ultimately give an account to Christ for its fulfillment or the lack thereof. In saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Paul reminds Timothy that nobody will escape Christ's righteous judgment, not even those who have already gone to their grave. He is Christ's second coming in mind, the time when he will execute this judgment. In verse 2, Paul actually issues the charge in a series of imperatives, the chief of which is to preach the word. What word? Well, all of Scripture, of course. You see, in the final verses of chapter 3, leading into chapter 4, Paul describes the value and authority of Scripture. It's a passage that we are all likely familiar with. Let me read it for us. In 2 Timothy 3:15-17, Paul says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And he's talking to Timothy. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. In light of those words, Paul issues this charge to Timothy. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. As I stated earlier, preach the word is Paul's main idea. The other imperatives we see here will help flesh that out. To preach the word is to publicly herald or proclaim it. Isn't it interesting that only a week ago we concluded the season of Advent, where we sang of angels who heralded the birth of Christ? They proclaimed the word made flesh. When we preach the word, we too proclaim Christ, since all of Scripture points to him and his plan of redemption. How and when do we make this proclamation? As Paul instructs Timothy, we do it first by being prepared. We have to know the Scriptures so we can properly declare its message. For those of you who are taking notes, we have to read it, Romans 15.4. We have to study it, Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 119.15-16. We have to hear it, Romans 10.17. Memorize it, Psalm 119.11. And we have to understand it, Psalm 119, 105. Feel free to look those uh, scripture references up on your own and see how they support what I just said. And we should give this matter of knowing the scriptures our highest priority, since the Lord may call on us to proclaim it at any time. We are to be ready in season and out of season, when it's convenient and when it's not. When people want to hear it and when they don't. When we're met with peace and when we're met with hostility. When the task is easy and when the task is difficult. You get the idea. Paul then provides Timothy with insight on what to include in his preaching and how to deliver it. 
He directs Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. To reprove is to convict. Sin must first be acknowledged. To rebuke is to reprimand. Sin must then be called out. And finally, to exhort is to admonish or encourage. Sin must be dealt with. The sinner must turn to Christ in repentance. To be effective, though, the preacher must do these with complete patience and teaching. The idea here is to instruct the sinner with sound doctrine in a spirit of gentleness and long-suffering. In Galatians 6.1, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Without, teachings, the script, without teaching the Scriptures, sin cannot be dressed as a heart issue, and without patience, the sinner won't allow access to his heart. So that brings me to my second point, and it's a bit of a short one. We should preach the Word because it helps us as Christians to endure to the end. Paul issues Timothy the charge to preach the Word because the central message of the Scriptures remains true regardless of whether its hearer is inclined towards it or not. The church at Ephesus faced many distractions by false teachers, which Timothy dealt with constantly. Paul knew that the intensity of those distractions would increase over time, and he didn't want Timothy to be caught off guard by it. Nor did he want, to gr- nor did he want Timothy to grow weary of combating it, or to become discouraged when he witnessed some who were initially drawn to the gospel turn away from it for some other message that struck their fancy at that time. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Sounds like a lot of what we encounter today, does it not? Our churches today face many of those same distractions and false teachers, and some, some of them have succumbed to them by watering down the gospel to make it more palatable to an ever-changing culture. Or worse yet, by turning to a different gospel altogether, like those that preach that, that God wants to bless you with material possessions, rather than preaching that in humility we must submit ourselves to Christ. So how was Timothy to endure in the face of all that? And how are we to endure today? Well, Paul tells us in verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He calls Timothy and us to be different from those he just described in the previous verses. He implores Timothy to remain faithful to his calling as a minister of the gospel, which applies to all of us who call upon Christ, not just your pastors and your elders. Remember, Jesus gave the Great Commission to every believer. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Referring back to verses 5 of 2 Timothy, We are to keep watch and remain on high alert. That's what Paul meant when he told Timothy to be sober-minded. And it reminds me of 1 Peter 5.8, which says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Again, referring back to verse 5 of 2 Timothy, Paul also highlights that none of us is immune from suffering. In John 16.33 
Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What then if we endure to the end? That brings me to my third point. We should preach the word because it helps us to leave a gospel legacy. That's exactly what we see with Paul in uh, verses 6 through 8 as he describes the culmination of his ministry near the end of his life. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, which, real quick, I'm going to take a drink. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So let's take a few minutes and look at those verses in terms of past, present, and future. Verse 6 describes Paul's present situation. As I mentioned earlier, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is awaiting trial and expects that it will end in him being sentenced to death. He gives us clues that this will be the likely outcome. First, he speaks of his departure, which is a euphemism for death. What's interesting about the use of that term, though, is that it implies that it won't be the end, that there's more. Paul won't simply cease to be. As a pilot, I can appreciate that term because where there's a departure, there's also a planned destination at the end of the journey. Paul knew that when his time came to leave the earth, he would instantly be transported to heaven where his Savior dwells. So let us follow his example by anticipating that we'll arrive where Jesus has promised and not allow ourselves to become distracted by the turbulence that we'll encounter along the way. Paul also talks about being poured out as a drink offering. This is a reference to the offering that followed the Old Testament sacrifice mentioned in Numbers 15, 1 through 10. The drink offering was the final act of the sacrifice, stating that he was already being poured out was his, his way of acknowledging that death was imminent. It would be the final act of his life and ministry, which he viewed as a living sacrifice to Christ. What a beautiful picture of hope he painted for Timothy, who surely would be grieved at those words, but who would also be moved to take up the mantle for his spiritual father when that day, when that day finally came. Next, we see Paul reflect on his past ministry in verse 7. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. His overall assessment is that he has done well, and indeed he has. He uses the metaphors of completing, or competing in a fight, as in a boxing or a wrestling match, and then running in a race. Notice that he didn't say that he won either of those contests, but, in, but he indicated that he engaged in the noblest of battles and crossed the finish line of a lengthy and arduous obstacle course. His emphasis was on completion, which once again points towards his impending death. He points out to Timothy that not only did he persevere despite facing great adversity, but he maintained his trust in the Lord through it all. He wanted the same for Timothy, and as future readers of his letter, he wants that for us too. We would do well to follow Paul's example, just as he instructed the church at Corinth to do in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And finally, we see Paul rejoice in his future in verse 8. He knew he was about to be rewarded for his faithful service to Christ. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We get the impression in all of these verses that Paul had no fear or anxiety toward death. On the contrary, he was looking forward to it in the sense that he knew what awaited him on the other side of it. We see the same attitude during one of his other imprisonments when he acknowledged that death might have been the outcome at that time as well. In Philippians 1.21 and the latter part of verse 23, he writes, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul looked forward to being in the presence of his Savior, which would be his immediate reward. However, what we don't want to miss in verse 8 is that Paul was actually speaking of a future reward beyond that, one that Christ would bestow on him at his second coming, the crown of righteousness. He also makes clear that the reward wasn't reserved only for him, but also for everyone who had and would follow Christ. What a reward indeed to receive the righteousness of the Savior that which allows us to find favor with his Father for all eternity. I hope you see this idea of legacy here. Not only did Paul equip Timothy to carry on in ministry after his death, but he also equips us to carry on as well. By his letters to Timothy and to the other churches where he ministered, we benefit from the doctrine contained within them, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit, just as he wrote about in chapter 3. We too can build a gospel legacy by fulfilling the Great Commission. As we make disciples, they make disciples, and God's kingdom is expanded. So to wrap things up, what do we do with Paul's charge to Timothy to preach the word? Obviously, this charge is still relevant today. As I already mentioned earlier, it applies to us all, not just to Timothy and not just to your pastors and elders. We are all called to share the gospel. We proclaim it when we gather together here on Sunday mornings, and we proclaim it as individuals to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our classmates, to our, and even to our enemies. Each of us encounters distractions and false teachings on a daily basis, all of which are vying for our attention. We need to be aware that the enemy desires for those things to draw us away from the most important thing, which is Christ and his church. The scriptures that contain the gospel still hold true today, and although its message may not be as flashy as some that we encounter, it remains constant while those other messages will surely fade away. The satisfaction or reward that they promise will be temporal at best and lead to eternal destruction at worst. At times, our world may seem too much to bear, and we may be tempted to fall away from Christ or grow stagnant as a believer. If we had time to explore the fullness of Paul's letters to Timothy, we'd likely see that Timothy was in that very situation. That's why Paul repeatedly points him back to Christ. Let us be reminded that Jesus is our only hope. He is the solution to our problems. He's the answer to our questions, and he is the redeemer of our sin. We preach the word because it endures and it helps us to endure. As Grace Church looks to the future, especially as we consider a permanent home and the expansion of our ministry, we look to endure to stand firm in this community and beyond. 
And as we aim to leave a legacy for Christ, may the preaching of God's word always be at the forefront. May we never succumb to false teachers. May Christ be at the center of all we say and do. And may we never swerve from the gospel or water it down. Now as we approach the Lord's table, let us also consider that that too is a means to preach the word. For we proclaim the gospel through it every time we partake of it. It is a symbol and a proclamation to the world that Christ died for the one who eats and drinks of it and is raised to true life just as Christ was raised from the, from the dead.